0: This episode of the Investment Interlude contains financial advice. The advice is general and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. You should consider whether this advice is suitable for you and your personal circumstances. When relevant, consult a financial advisor, financial counselor, or legal advice. You're listening to the Investment Interlude, a podcast that talks about money, Finances, the stock market and the economy as a whole. I'm Thomas Patterson, a finance and economics student at the University of Wollongong, and I'm here to keep you up to date on the economy and new tips that I've found on my journey to newfound wealth. Another week, another episode. Uh, It's good to see everyone back. I have been checking some of the little statistics and things on the old Spotify records. Uh, it says that I have got a, quite a few listeners, which is good. Uh, I really appreciate the support, yet again. This week, alternative investments, what are they? Uh, well, that's what I'm here to answer. I will probably also give a little disclaimer. Uh, this gets a little bit, um, probably a little bit more technical. If there is anything uh, that you'd like to talk about, uh, I will actually be doing a Q&A through this one. I'm hoping that I can set that up properly. Uh, basically there'll be a link in the uh, description or the about section of this episode uh, and you can click on it and it'll throw me some questions. Uh, you just type them in and send them to me and I will try and do like a sort of a 2.5 episode, just basically answering some of the questions if you've got any uh, and if there's enough. So alternative investments, let's list them out. The cash equivalent, some uh, the real estate investment trust, Mortgage backed securities, which sort of falls in again to the mortgage stuff, uh, commodities and derivatives, those are the big ones I'll be talking about. So, where do we start? Uh, well, we start with the cash equivalents because they're the most common. So, the cash equivalent, as I did speak about last episode, uh, the savings account, that is technically a type of cash equivalent as you are making a return on it, it is an investment. Uh, but the more common one that many people seem to talk about is the turn deposit. Turn deposit, much like savings accounts, are basically you put your money in and you earn a return off it. Turn deposits generally have a better interest rate uh, versus a savings account because uh, there's lower risk of a client taking money out uh, without, you know, like, in a certain time frame. I think the best way of saying that is probably that. And basically, uh, term deposits will offer better returns because the money is more secure to the bank, but less secure to uh, is also less secure to you because you can't access it. You've got to uh, put it in for a term and you're not allowed to touch the money. Um, another type of cash equivalent is the money market instruments. Uh, for investors, probably not so important uh, because uh, money market instruments are sold and bought off the primary money markets. They offer super low returns, they're stupidly safe. Uh, Generally you'll see maturity in under a year uh, and the smaller packet size or marketable size of these are generally a million dollars plus. Uh, But hey, if any of my listeners are earning a million dollars or have a million dollars that they wanna spend, I mean, you could always go and put a certificate of deposit, uh, buy some commercial paper, repurchase agreements, any one of those. so yeah, let's not let's not sit too long on those because they're not necessarily important to the investor, but uh, they are very helpful to know about. The real estate investment trust, or a REIT for short, they are a good way to, for younger people, much like you and I, provided that you you know are young and listening, as this podcast is catered to. Uh, you basically own a real estate portfolio. You own a share of a trust is essentially how it works. So the great thing about these is they've got super low barrier to entry. They're very easy to get into uh, and they've got quite low risk as well because you think about it, you if you own a share, you don't have any direct repair costs or any, pay, uh, like any direct maintenance and things like that because, the actual manager of the trust will be obviously taking care of that, Um, which is great for the shareholder because uh, there's low risk. Again, that factors into your uh, risk. You do earn a return, obviously, with these. Uh, They're paid to the shareholders via what they call distributions. Uh, So a distribution of the returns, whether that be in rent or selling uh, a property under the trust, will obviously go back to the investors via what they call, as I said before, distributions. The, mortgage ba- the mortgage-backed the mortgage security. So, uh, people might know what an MBS is. Um, might have heard it from, say, the movie The Big Short. If you've watched it, highly recommend it. Fantastic movie. Um, the MBS, is basically almost it was a big player in what caused the great recession back in 2008 the 08 and 09 gfc um, and basically how it works is their loans are, uh, like they loan out money and the money is paid together it's pulled into a fund basically so all of your money of uh, your mortgage money is paid to this pool. It's all pulled together in a fund and then it is paid out to investors. Um, Now you probably think, oh, you know, what's wrong with that? How did that cause a global financial crisis? It's a heck of a lot more complicated than that with derivatives involved. um, And I'll probably talk about the OAGFC in another episode uh, because it's quite important. But um, just know for now that MBS is still safe. Um, They're very low risk. Uh, but a lot of people do sort of avoid them now due to the, the stigma involved and surrounding them due to 2008 um, But yeah, so that's basically all that comes to that So the other one that I probably want to talk about that a lot of people think of they're like, oh, why don't I just buy some gold, you know? Um, well Yeah, uh, but what they are technically called they're under a group a banner term commodities so commodities Uh, They're just generally bought and sold through, um, you know, with the theory that they increase in value due to supply and demand forces. So what does that mean? Well, let's theoretically say, you buy some of the gold, right? You buy gold, um, let's say that you, or if not, you might buy some silver because it's the best conductor of electricity or some lithium for like batteries because they're becoming more and more popular with uh, batteries in your renewable cars. Let's say you buy some gold. Uh, where well, you're taking some supply off the market. So there's your limiting supply, which means in economic terms, this means the price will be higher because the demand has suddenly um, gone up because the supply has been lowered. Uh, that's a very simplified way uh, of explaining it. Technically, demand hasn't increased, but let's just, it's an easy way to explain it um, without visualizing. Therefore, the gold then sells at a higher price because there's less supply. Let's say you, uh, over time, inflation happens, therefore it obviously goes up in value as well along with that, and that's due to generally supply being limited because it's being bought up. Uh, As we know, gold, lithium, metals uh, that are mined, they're not renewable, they're not gonna constantly keep renewing themselves, there is a finite Amount of them therefore that dictates price Um, many people also believe too that commodities can be a safe haven from market downturns like obviously gold Uh, gold is a big one Uh, they believe that um, even if a market downturn does happen you're not going to see any uh, fluctuation in price of gold this hasn't always held true Um, there's many videos and other things on the internet and sources say that this isn't true however um, it's usually a pretty good indication that it, it, uh, it's usually a pretty good thing to invest in, because it holds true most of the time. The obvious issue is actually holding the physical product of a commodity. If you're going to invest in, um, I don't know, 200, 200 of 200 liters of crude oil, let's say. Uh, crude oil is quite good priced, obviously. Again, oil isn't a renewable, therefore there's a finite amount that's what dictates your petrol prices Uh, holding 200 barrels of oil in your garage last time I checked is not the easiest thing to do Um, so there's obviously the big issue with that that's where we get into derivatives so derivatives actually derive as the name may entail derive their value from the underlying asset what does that mean well they come in three essential forms there's many more of them but we'll talk about three of them here options futures and swaps. So what does this mean? Well, l- let's let's oversimplify it because it's quite complicated. Oversimplifying it, it's essentially a bet or you speculate a speculation on if a market will increase or decrease. So, if you're correct, your derivative will increase in value and obviously if you're wrong, the value is going to decrease. Um, These can be used to mimic returns, such as commodities without actually needing storage. Hence where your futures come in, you can bet on the futures of prices of a commodity. Uh, And companies will generally use derivatives to hedge risky positions. What does that mean? Um, In a simple way of it, let's say a company owns uh, 20% of Apple. That's a huge amount you're probably you know, you'd be worth billions. Uh, the company would be huge. Let's just say, for you know, talking sake, that that's the case. They will take out an option. Basically, the way that an option works is is that it has a price attached to it, and you can use the option, which is called an exercising. You can exercise the option to buy the stock at the price that the option states, which is called a strike price. Uh, You do pay a premium to have the option, but let's not talk about that at the moment. So the way that a strike price works, let's say Apple share prices at the moment. I don't know what they are off the top of my head. I think they're in the hundreds. Uh, Let's say that they're $20, right? Ah, so, ah, cool, they're $20. Now let's say I buy an option, they're called a call option for buying, or if you wanna short an option, you're gonna call it a put. You buy a call option to exercise at maturity, and you'll buy it at, uh, let's say $20. Let's say that they, you can buy the options and you the strike price is $20. The price then suddenly goes up, the share price, I'm talking here, the share price goes up, uh, and now suddenly your shares are at $25. Cool, well, I've got an option here, that says that I can exercise and buy at $20. You then exercise the option and you buy the shares at $20. Suddenly you've just made a $5 profit already on that share. So that's kind of how options work. Futures are a little bit different and swaps are quite complicated as well. Swaps can be pretty easy. Um, Simply it's a bet uh, and if you're right, you'll swap for something, hence the swap. Um, that's a outrageous oversimplification, but it's, it's pretty simple to get the knowledge around to your head, I guess. Um, but yeah, so those are sort of the main alternative investments. Um, and I think it's pretty important that they're sort of covered off. So you sort of know how they work. Uh, derivatives are definitely the biggest, um, derivatives are huge. The total world stock market, I believe, um, is it's huge let's just leave it at that it's ginormous the stock market the world market the derivative market is kind of like a nuclear warhead it is ginormous it's probably twice as it's I think it's almost twice as big as um the actual stock market um and I'm going to quickly google this for you and I'm going to go derivative market size and trust me It is ginormous, and I would like to give you this. The gross market value of derivative contracts, positive and negative values, is now sitting at about 15.5 trillion. Now, that's ginormous. And we talk about what we call uh, GWP, which is gross world product. Um, And you're probably looking at gross world product. The gross world product at the moment is an index. Uh, I'd like to know if there's a value of it. Look, there's probably not, uh, but that doesn't really help. The Gross World product is going to give me an index, and that's definitely not helpful. Oh, well, what can you do? You're looking at 87,752 real GDP in billions as of 2019, the last time it was measured, which means that that's a ginormous figure. But yeah, just think about that. Australia's GDP is 1.3 trillion and the derivatives market is around 17 trillion. That's huge, it's stupidly big. But anyhow, um, thank you for joining. Uh, I hope that this was reasonably informative and I didn't lose you anywhere too far. In uh, next week's episode, we're gonna be talking about the mindset of investors and actually it's gonna be a bit more of a deep and meaningful heart to heart about how I kept falling back into spending. So I hope you all join me there and we can talk about the mistakes I made and talk about how not to make them. Thanks very much for joining and I will see you next week. Thanks guys.